Good afternoon, guys, and welcome to the Big Black Clock podcast. Uh, I'm Carl, it's and uh, <laughs> I'm with Kevin, Yo, and Dimitri. Da. Um, today we're going to do a simple one. So we're going to start with our wrist check. And who want to start? Kevin, you want to start with yours? Yeah. So today I have a few things. Um, I think it's because we're doing this at your place, Dima, Dimitri. So I'm wearing uh, on wrist something old, a little vintage, 1978 Omega Seamaster. So it's the caliber 1022. So it makes it more unique. It's a day date. And it has an integrated bracelet. So very feel of a date just and the integrated bracelet really i don't know it just gives it that uh you know satisfies that integrated bracelet that i guess we're all really into and it's what's really hot right now in the market like everyone's making an integrated sports watch bracelet sports watch is that an automatic also yes nice no manual wind 37 millimeters has that raised, you know, crystal and very thin, huh? For an automatic, you see. So, really great condition. Took me good, uh, say, a good six months to find a good one uh, online. Or, you know, shopping and find one that wasn't Frankenstein. People didn't, you know, tear it up for, uh, you know, replace the pieces. So, and later on, I'm sure another. Stories we'll talk about like vintage stuff and what to know and marketing stuff. So, so buyer beware. Took me a while, but uh, definitely a keeper. Which year is it? Seventy-eight, nineteen seventy-eight. So nice. if you look that one up, it's a uh, yeah, it's, it's a good very nice. One. I also have uh, brought for you to see uh, Seiko uh, Sumo, the coral blue, with a uh, 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 strap code bracelet. So I could have worn it on on both wrists, but I thought, you know, it'd be coming in a little hard to be double fisting on the Big Black Clock podcast episode one. Just, it might be a lot. Yeah, you might want to watch for that uh, on the first podcast ever. And then the last thing I have is this really cool new ring I got uh, from AHW Studios, which has a 1940s Swiss movement in the actual ring itself. And... uh it's actually really unique. Is it a working movement or? No, it's a, uh, well, there's, no, there's nothing powering it, but it's complete. Absolutely. As you can see. And um, they're from Australia. What's it called? The studio is AHW Studio. Um, really, really suggest this. All I can say is the, the quality of their product is excellent. And they have gold rings they have silver rings and then they put in the you can see different types of movements they have the they have some you know more affordable ones they even made an exhibition case back there yeah they did it's, amazing. it's really amazing the so detail are pretty good i think it's pretty cool and they're they're um like a small group the guy's very in touch with his stuff and family business so it's like him and his is like his family that, that runs it so it's really cool uh a little uh accessoire <laughs> So coming in hot, yeah. episode one, yeah. So the next step is the cufflinks, right? With movement. Cufflinks, the same company. They have that too in that company, yeah. yeah. Definitely, uh, yeah, definitely. Maybe, we'll see. There might be much. Do they have anything that's actually working or it's all kind of just for... Uh, I don't actually know. Let me check. HW Studio. 
they have any working watches. That's pretty cool. I don't think I've ever seen this before. It's like industrial jewelry, steampunk. No, I think it's jewelry. Timepieces. No, they have watches. Handcrafted. Oh, no, they carry the brand that you like a lot, Carl. Rec watches from yeah. Denmark. So the, what's the deal with them again there? So Rec, the thing is they buy medals from either crash plane, crash cars, uh, wrecks, right? And uh, they use them for dials or parts of the watch. So this one is made from recycled... A Mustang. Ford Mustang. Oh, yeah. So the dial was part of it. So And they have a bunch of watch. Their biggest seller is with the base on a Porsche 901. Yeah. This one says 1966. Yeah. Yeah. And um, they have two with minis classic uh, mini rovers so the old minis and it, it depends like some of them even they use the metal of the gas tank so they're all like there's a weird patina to them because they're full of fuel right mm. so it's a uh, it's different and they just just launched a new watch it's the rwb um edition so rwb being a huge tuner of porsche in japan and uh, if you like porsche you know what rwb rwb is and um so it's not san they took his own car cut a fender out of it to use that middle so for people who who don't know what rwb is what what is that um it's uh if i if i told you like uh saline right for ford it's a brand who tune modified a brand specifically so rwb is is this like an amg or a Brabus for Mercedes when they do it a custom... It, 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 in a way, it's models. way more smaller. It's a one-man show. But the brand is recognized worldwide. Okay. So do you guys know Bamford in watches? So what this guy does is he takes certain watches and he has a, his own shop. And it's that Bamford edition is like... I'm sure you've seen Tag Monaco's... Where, Warrior Monaco, sorry. Where they're like entirely blacked out. And they look like they have carbon fiber. Yep. Yeah, I saw that. And Rolex is completely DLC coated black with blue hand markings and stuff. That's yeah, I think so. So is, is it similar to that? Um, well, yes and no, um, because is mostly the wing body works. So yeah, in a way, it's aesthetic, right? He's not touching the engine, but he does have tuned engine. So the cars RWB Porsche, it's unique. We have two of them in Canada that I know of. Hmm. And it's really expensive to have one because you have to fly the guy out of Japan to your shop. Well, there's two in this entire country. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Must be expensive. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you have to fly a uh, Nakai to your shop. And it's like, I think it's like $100,000 you have to right. pay up front to get the guy here and make your car better in some ways. So, Marginally. so you know, we're just talking about Bamford. On our, because we have a common watch chat that we chat in, right? There was... That posting someone shared of the the tag Hoyer that with coffee, right? That coffee. Oh, yeah. This isn't a tag. This is a Bamford version of a tag, and he does it like. So pull out some of his watches here. There you go. They're all like totally blacked out DLC, crazy blues and different brands, right? And apparently mm. they're customized luxury. I mean, if you have to modify uh you know a bulgari octofinissimo right <laughs> must have disposable income it's um it's fuck you money <laughs> f you money yeah exactly <laughs> and f stands for fuck exactly but uh, this guy has zeniths 
GPs. And are they very popular, as in hard to get? Well, these are available right now, but Bulgari Octofinissimo. So let's let's do the math real quick. It looks like they're following a very similar style, right? Yeah, his style. It's, yeah. it's all the same color scheme. Yeah, but he did he did some Rolexes even. Like he has some Rolex Bamford edition, but there's a whole bunch of El Primeros. And he has his own watches as well. He does do his own watches. Okay. Dimitri, what are you wearing today? Um, so today I'm wearing my Omega Speedmaster Hesolite Moonwatch, the uh, the most original one there is, well, today that you can buy. That's not a vintage one. Or the three, two, one. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I, I guess an argument can be made about that not being as original, let's say, as this one. But they both have something that's more original to the rear, to the to the uh, rear, to the watch that was on the moon. Right, that one has the movement and maybe has a bracelet that is sim- more similar, let's say, to the to the original one. So the price tag certainly isn't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but at the same time, it has an exhibition case back, I think, to show that beautiful movement, and that is not NASA spec, I think. So uh, oh, yeah, you're there's right. a few things uh, different. Oh yeah, Although that watch is fantastic. Oh yeah, you're right. I'm looking here at the, the three, two, one. Oh, it's a beautiful movement. Platinum. The three, two, one here is the uh, was the fiftieth anniversary in 2019, yeah. and it's insane. Yeah, I uh, I'm holding this watch right now in my hand. I mean, it's uh, it, it's I don't want to say it's my Grail watch, but it probably is up there because I don't think I'll ever sell it. This is the watch that I've been looking for uh, for buy at buying for maybe six or seven months prior to actually pulling the uh, pulling the trigger. Um, I've had it for a little bit over a year now, and I don't think I've started to like it less. I think I'm still in my honeymoon period. That's pretty unusual. You know what I think is so cool about that watch is that you take some iconic chrono, you think of Daytona. I don't, I don't see the gap at all. I can put that in my mind very evenly with... The, the Daytona for myself, e- uh, even more so than, for example, a Zenith El Primero. I, I just, this watch, I find this, uh, to me, to me, yeah. has more character. Uh, I mean, obviously, I agree because I love this watch, right? And I would take all compliments towards this watch. But you like the Zenith. Uh, I love the Zenith El Primero as well, yeah. Uh, and I obviously love the Daytona. Um, I can't remember. I think there was a, wasn't there a tag? A Hoyer, sorry, that was very similar yep. to to. There were tr- also it was also a racing watch. They tried to make it to spec, but I guess they didn't win the the Octavia. Is that is that the one? Yeah, well, the panda the the panda offset, and it was very right. You, you thought it was very thick, right? But yeah, I I completely agree. This is a this is a watch that I will keep forever. Hopefully, uh, we'll pass on to future generations. Um, yeah, there's not much else to say. It's a it's a it's an icon. Carl? Yeah, me too. So um, I'm going to go in the same uh, region as uh, Dima, but uh, space. So uh, today I'm wearing my uh, Bulova. It's uh, the... It is what to space? What are you talking about? <laughs> Why? It's, it's just what to space as well. I believe my watch went to space. George Clooney says it does. I clearly see it here on the website. Haven't you seen Ryan Gosling? <laughs> he was in space. Brad Pitt was in space. We yeah. had to find Matt Damon. I'm sure he was wearing the Omega at some point. I'm sure. Yeah. And all of those times that he got lost and then we had to get him back. 
A lot of potatoes. Yeah. Yeah. So yes, please talk about your uniquely space watch. I, I didn't say it was unique. I just said the same region That's as unique. You. Unique. <laughs> unique is a very different thing, eh? Unique. Unique New York. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I have my uh, Beloved Lunar Pilot Chronograph, if you want to say the full name. Um, and I always mistake and always say that it's a Beloved Moon Watch. And after that, no, it's the Lunar Moon. And no, it's the Moon Pilot. And I'm always uh, fucking it up. So there are many variations of that watch. Which one do you have? Um, well, the quote-unquote as original. So it's the brush case. Um, I know that there is the uh, matte black and now the uh, polish case, if I'm not mistaken, that you both had or still have. I don't have the DLC anymore. I do have the polished. And I kind of regret selling the black. Yeah, it it wasn't getting wrist time. I don't know why. Is your polished one getting wrist time? Because from every single one that I've seen, I think this is my favorite one. It is getting wrist time. Well, depends on you, Mibris. I do have a lot of, not enough maybe that it should, but comparing to the other three that you, the other two that you've had, it uh, is getting the most, yeah. Okay. So, um, that was my first real watch. Uh, we're going to talk a bit about that later, why, but um, I can go over some spec. Uh, it's kind of big. But I think what make me uh, well, what is, what, why is filling so big? It's uh, forty five by fifty two. The case uh, it's thirteen point five millimeters thick, and um, the uh, lug width is twenty millimeters. So when you look at it, because the lug width is so small versus the size of size of the case, uh, it look maybe bigger than what it it is, and it's top heavy too. I also think that uh, lug to lug is not that large. It's 52, right? Yeah. That's not that bad. There are much larger watches out there. Yes. So it's it sits well for a large watch. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying it was yeah. too big. Just No, no. no. You could look sometimes a bit. It's it, No, but it's funny you say that because I think a lot of people focus too much on the diameter. Yeah. And the lug-to-lug has a huge impact on that because uh, if you have a lug-to-lug that's way too large and a shorter diameter, it will still overhang so it depends because you're a big dude like i am and so are you even when you see like i'll I'll think of like someone that we know that's much maybe skinnier and taking the wrist it won't it won't it won't it won't fit um yes i think what i was going to add is that it might and i've i've owned this watch for a little while i think what it makes it feel like it's a really big watch is that well first of all you have it on a nato strap right that adds a bit of a layer but also, it doesn't have a domed crystal, right? It's a, it's a flat crystal, and it yep. sticks out quite a bit. So that, that really does add a lot to the thickness. It's not a watch you can wear at work. Not that we have to go to work anymore. But it doesn't fit under a cuff easily. Well, it depends what job you do, yeah. I guess yeah. it's like what we're wearing a shirt. And it's, it, it'll have, it might I'll, have trouble getting under your cuff. If yeah. you're a magician and you wear like a <laughs> wizard sleeve, then you will be fine. <laughs> Well, some people wore t-shirts um, and polos. But yeah, prior to this um, podcast, I was uh, trying to read a bit more about that watch. And it's funny because it's really, um, people are fighting over the, the backstory of that watch. Um, there's like two main schools for that. It's the one that said that uh, David Scott, the astronaut who brought it to the moon, um, broke his Speedmaster prior of the launch and run back to st- some stuck room, pick up the first watch on the side that was a prototype that didn't pass the 
That's a certification with the Belova and Edu. But what, did it not pass the certification or it just didn't win the tender? So it's Speedmaster who won for a second time. When Belova was aiming for that contract, Speedmaster already won it once. And it was a second run for the same deal, if you want. And Speedmaster got it again. So in that run was Speedmaster, Daytona, and the Belova. The Daytona? Yeah. For the second contract, if you want. So the second uh, row of that. And, well, they don't say they didn't get it, just that Speedmaster got it, right? So, but technically they never got the certification and they never got the stent. They went to the moon, but without the stent, right? So that's the first cool. People said that uh, he broke his Speedmaster prior of the launch, went back, picked up that first thing on the side, and left with it, right? And I was reading about it, and the thing is, other people said that he left with his um, Speedmaster, as like he was supposed to do, and his uh, personal uh, tool watch, and um, not personal, uh, the equipment tool watch. And every astronaut have um, like by weight some personal items they can bring on uh, the shuttles. And Dave Scott, for some reason, nobody really knows why, in his personal items was that Belova. And it's a prototype that no one else in the world had, but it was his personal watch. Because fuck that, I don't need pictures of my kids. I'm just going to take <laughs> this watch that I didn't make the win, but I'll take it with me. Could it have been a marketing move by Bulova that's, to that's just get him to bring it to space and then just somehow wear it? Yes. Accidentally? But they accidentally them. break the Speedmaster and then the wear the Bulova and create history? That's what people are seeing online. That's what I, I, I said I wanted to talk to you guys about that during the episode. But who would like... Is it on like Omega Forms? Are they saying, no, no, no. No, so Lose. if you go on the Bulova website, they really don't tell the whole story. It's really gray on Bulova website. They're just telling me like, we did it. <laughs> and it's stepping there. And when you, even you look at the auction of the original one that went to the moon, right? It was no date automatic. Uh, the one I have, it's date window, it's uh, quartz, uh, I beat. And um, even in the, um, when you look at the um, auction definition, they didn't need it tell the whole story there's like huge gaps and nobody was really sure only know that it was his quote-unquote personal item because it was able to sell it because all the speedmaster for astronauts are nasa owned right so when they came back back into the lockers uh but that was the only known watch in the world that went that from a personal collection that went it to the moon and, and when it sold in 2015 it was for 1.65 uh 1.625 millions now you have a, a picture open here and it is a very handsome watch, and it, I and I remember it even has like moon dirt on it. <laughs> uh, well, it's it's rust, it's yeah. patina, oh, right? Because okay. it's from the on the case. Yes, right. Mm. And it's the old font if you look at it too. Yeah, I love that. Right, and yours has the old font. Yeah. Mine no, is the newer font. And no date. And yeah, the old one. And mine's as a date, right? Um, so so yeah, it's a, it's weird. I was reading into it, and there's like no real story, and it's all people thinking he did that, thinking because of that. But yeah, he worried because he quote unquote um, popped his isolate of the Speedmaster in the shuttle, but accidentally, you know, accidentally, and those watch passed the uh, the like accreditation, right? To go we to the all moon. know those isolates are indestructible. But it's funny. I was reading about. The similar story between Smiths and Rolex that went up Everest, and what there's there's a claim that a Smith's watch made it to uh, the top of Everest. What's funny about it is that a lot of them argue they never had it on their wrist, the Smith's watch, and he goes, "Oh no, 
the Rolex, the Rolex oyster perpetual that was worn. Because yeah, he had it on his wrist. The Smith says our watch made it to the top of Everest, but apparently the rumor is the guy never had it on his wrist. He actually had a, a Rolex, but there was a Smith's yeah. on him or something. A backup one, and they use very specific wording to say, "Oh, we made it to the top." It's like That's interesting. and Rolex says we were the only watch on this one's wrist to make it to the top. It's weird. It's, it's all marketing, right? The same thing with Boulevard. I really, um, it's like all gray areas when they tell that story. But careful. yeah, so yeah, I bought that watch because of that story. It's kind of funny. And behind the watch, it's all engraved the dates, even the position when the launch was and all those things because they're like, we made it. Apollo like, 15. 100%. Like Speedmasters, you know, the reason it's so famous is because of that one time when NASA just decided to approve that watch to be the official watch of all astronauts, right? And that's it. And they hadn't had to change it in 60 years. And I mean, I, I don't. there's no need. It's a great watch. I mean, but wouldn't, wouldn't you too? Like you made it. Even, it doesn't matter how you made it. You'd be like, I made it. No, it's like, it's like Coca-Cola. We're on don't that don't ch- change it. It's, it's it, what people want, right? put it on a chimpanzee. I mean, we probably we want a, we probably want a 1900 version of a Coca-Cola, but not. Would you drink it? I mean, <laughs> I'm sure it would be tasty. <laughs> tasty is a, a very broad thing. Probably. It will give me a lot of energy, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, but uh, even today, NASA and SpaceX, they don't use the Speedmaster anymore. They still use Omega. It's an X-23. Right. Well, there's a lot of other ones, right? Because, I, I mean, I've, I've read some articles about uh, watches in space and stuff, right? You have the Fortis. You have the G-Shocks that are going there all the time, right? So isn't there, is there a, a specific requirement to wear a particular watch or people just bring whatever they want? I think it depends on the space program. Yeah, so, I think it's the, uh, like this, I'm guessing an engineer that's there to build the equipment and it just go through a list and when it get to a, the watch or the timekeeping device, you just choose one and the whole team goes with that mission has that watch. So, so uh, my brother lives out in uh, Belgium and there's a brand at, and relatively and, and very affordable. They have some very cool watches, is Gavox. So if you look at their offerings, they have one that looks exactly like, let me look it up here. The Zin 103. And it's called the Gavox Squadron, if ever anyone's looking. And uh, I didn't think it. I think it's pretty under the radar. But believe it or not, you go, okay, does this watch carry any... Look at that. It looks just like the Zin 103, right? Yeah. And this thing is a quartz. It's 450 bucks US here, right from then. And this thing is used by the uh, Belgian Air Force. Gavox is their official supplier. Just like the Ministry of Defense with CWC that you own, there was a time they said, okay, we need to start cutting down um, how many can have them. And now, just now in the news, uh, in the last few weeks, Yema uh, has the contract for the, uh, the French um, uh, Air Force, right? I don't even know how to say it. The, 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 I don't know. The, the Air Force. So, yeah. But you were going to say something about CWC. Um, yes, the uh, Air R- RAF, RAF? The Royal the, Air Force. Yeah. Or they, a lot of people say MOD, the Ministry of Defense. Yeah. I was really looking at one of their watches, right? The Royal Air Force um, Chrono. I think those are Seiko Royal Air Force Chrono. Oh, yeah. that I was trying to find, but it's like a $2,000 watch. And oh. it's really not a good watch. It's all about just history, right? Yeah. They're a lot like that. Beautiful watch, though. 
lot of them. And when you look at some of the offerings that certain companies have, like when you look at the the the, the fleece there, the the new Breitling Chronomat B01, 42 millimeters, that I think is the one of the nicest offerings of the year, and in a really tough year for watches, but let's find that one. I think it's a tough year for everyone. <laughs> for airlines, mostly. I'm doing pretty good, man. I'm feeling pretty good. I, I did, I, fingers crossed. I'm, you know, health is good. Yeah, but you, you work in the tech industry, right? Yeah, I work in tech, but not in the tech industry. Okay, so... It's insurance, so yeah. yeah. Okay, so yeah. So you, yeah, they're actually... Uh, they, have, they, they, they get the, 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 the best case of the scenario, right? They don't guys, insurance. There's no claims. No claims. No claims, but people are still paying them. So they just collect money for nothing. So, yeah. Once <laughs> for nothing, peace of mind. <laughs> Ooh, the marketing there <laughs> and you know how much a piece of mind costs right? <laughs> it's worth a lot look at this look at that new chronomat it's beautiful it what, really is great look what, at that what's the uh, the Bretling the limited edition they did with the um, rainbow on it the rainbow so this is yeah this is the one with the Italian Air Force can you describe it the B01 chronomat because you show it to us, but uh, people on the other side of the mic don't have eyes. So the new um, chronograph, or the don't, don't judge people on the other side of the mic. They might have eyes. They just don't see the things that we're talking about. The, the chronomat. What's so great about it is that one one thing I like about this iteration, it went from forty four millimeters down to forty two. So it's size like your Speedmaster. The movement is great in this watch. Um, so let's here just say some of the, let's pull out these stats real quick. I'm looking at the at the screenshots of this watch and the bracelet is fantastic. I don't even know what it's called. <laughs> I don't even know what it's called either. It's oh, here called Rouleau bracelet. Rouleau. So. All right. So it does look like Rose individual. Yeah. But you, what's crazy about this watch? Which you're gonna go? Are you serious? Two hundred meters of water resistance. Well, that, that makes sense because a Daytona is also a chrono that has 200 water meter resistance, right? Yeah. It's just that there's screw on uh, crowns, right? And the pushers. This one is a screw crown. And the pushers, pushers are not well. screwed. Okay, well, that is interesting. Then. Yeah. That is a misconception. A lot of people think, and for anyone out there who thinks that screw down has impact on water resistance, that's a, mis- that's a myth. Is it really? Well, yeah. it's the quality of the seal. Quality of the seal. Uh, same thing when you look at cars, right? You can have a really cheap, you can have a really cheap watch that has a screw down crown, but if the seal is, you know, right, questionable. I guess is that is that fair to say that it's just cheaper to do a screw down crown than an expensive seal? Um, that I wouldn't know because you need to uh, forge your tread for the screw and everything. It's more metal. It's more working on your case, right? Yikes! I think you're. That might be. Oh, it's yeah, a, yeah. It's it's more working on the metal versus buying a seal. So. I'm, I'm guessing it's even maybe pricier to just have a screw down. I think what it does, though, because it's screwed down, might avoid if it gets knocked onto something, cracking the stem. Or accidental push. That is why you have a crown guard, usually, which is what my sim, uh, Speedmaster has, yes. right? Yeah. Uh, specifically for that reason, right? Um, and Panerai Luminors. <laughs> so crazy crown nice. Guard. That's a crown guard. Yeah. <laughs> Or the no, two, it's a bezel guard. double D crown guard. <laughs> it's a crown fortress. Exactly. Exactly. Um, well, I've I've owned um, uh, the blue alpinist before, right? And you have 
a regular crown that's a screw down crown and you have the the compass which is not a screw down but it's still 200 meter water resistance yeah so it just goes to show that because fair there's nothing to yeah so that's a myth i, yeah, I, I heard I, that I, I was looking at a lot of sequels on their website and a, a lot of sequels has pretty good water resistance and none of them are screwed down like well, i was looking into it and even when i went to a shop here i forgot the name is fh something um and even the, the salesman there was like looking at the stats even he was surprised it's like wow it's not screwed down it was like 100 meters 150 meters 100 meters all those new seiko fives that replace the the skx they're just they're just push crowns right they're 100 meters and my speedmaster is 50 yeah but that's, there's no water in space yeah <laughs> there's no need for more than that for the most part and you know you also own a pretty good diver that'll get you where you need to go for your aqua aquatic activities um i have a question for you guys so i'm gonna ask both of you and i'll tell my side of the story afterwards uh where do you start when do you start loving watches so what was your like point a to point watch <laughs> right there's some reason right uh, i don't know if uh did you want to start on this one okay sure um I was trying to think about it, uh, you know, preparing for this podcast. Uh, what is that exactly that, that got me into uh, watches? And I think it's not something that was very gradual. It's pretty quick. Uh, once you start uh, developing interest in the watches, it, it, it basically snowballs. Um, as, as I remember myself, even when, since I was a kid, I've always had a watch. My parents used to buy me like little Casios and stuff. And at some point, I had a Tissot, but I never progressed from just uh, thinking of it as a, a fashion accessory, at least. I wanted to have a Swiss watch, right, that showed the movement and it was an automatic, but that was, I guess, as, as much research that I've done. And I think um, a catalyst for, for, for my love of watches happened, I think, two years ago when uh, uh, Kevin, me, and another friend of ours, we were playing with an idea um, of starting a watch company. And, uh, you know, looking at all the Daniel Wellingtons and just all the, all the small micro brands and seeing, you know, potential opportunity in this and also kind of doing this as a hobby. Um, this didn't really work out at all. Um, but what it did is that it, it, it forced me and we had an exercise to do. It forced me to research about watches and try to figure out, let's say, find that specific type of a watch that you would like uh, to, to build, right, as, a, as part of your company. And... Um, uh, I spent a few hours, uh, I'd say I'm being conservative, I've spent quite a bit of time just looking at different brands, understanding the market, seeing what types of watches are there, and then looking at different uh, mechanisms and dials and shapes of cases and stuff like that, right? Uh, I think that was, from that moment on, it only took a few months for me to really fall in love with watches because once we stopped really trying to, to, to continue with making our company, uh, my interest in, in researching different watches didn't really disappear. So I gradually started to join all the popular channels on YouTube and uh, reading blogs and stuff. And very quickly, I'd say maybe a few months from then, that moment, uh, I was like, you know, shopping around online, the way, about to buy my first serious watch that I've researched prior, right? Um, and I, I think uh, maybe it's true for you guys as well, but we'll see. Uh, whenever you start liking watches, and at least for me, the first thing 
the first type of a watch that I really liked is a minimalist watch, right? So I wanted to have something that is very basic, very clean, uh, doesn't have a lot of uh, functionalities, right? Uh, not no no complications, just a pure dial that's very straightforward, all very um, rectangle shaped designs and hands and stuff. Nothing that showed any particular uniqueness or design, right? And Obviously, that kind of market uh, market segment is filled out quite well by all the fashion brands today. And I guess they're realizing this very well, that people usually, when they don't know anything about watches, this is the type of a watch everybody goes after, right? The one that looks good on Instagram posts. Uh, same thing like Apple, right? They, they go for uh, an aesthetic, sometimes prior of some, some tech, right? We, uh, Apple is known to have the same tech as like Android, but like a year or two afterwards. But I wouldn't conflate design uh, and timepieces, you know. So I, I know what you're you're saying, but like movement, right? But you know, like there's a, a very interesting comment you made about Apple, um, and I've read the Steve Jobs' book uh, a while ago, right? He was fascinated by this uh, quote from uh, uh, Da Vinci, which is basically that goes. Uh, Simplicity is the ultimate sophistication, right? So the behind the design is not necessarily something that's very minimalist. It's maximum utility with the most efficient minimalist design. It's not exactly the same as a fashion, let's say, watch trend. So since the uh, you just said that, I'm guessing that your first watch you were looking into were Germans. Germans are known for having some more simpler but efficient stuff it's actually very correct uh one of the first watches that i was looking to buy was a dress watch because again i was looking for something very minimalist and i was fascinated by the bauhaus designs right so one of the watches that i really wanted to get was the max bill Junhans. Uh, didn't get it because just didn't want to spend the money on it great watch great watch i love that one even the chrono love them i i, I like the classic one not the new form a's and stuff but they're I agree. I agree. Uh, they're beautiful watches, and I was looking at them for a while. I was also looking at Junkers. Uh, they also have a watch. I can't remember what the model name is. I think it's just a bunch of numbers. It's hard to remember. Uh, very similar style, also a Bauhaus watch, right? I was looking at a lot of different styles. I, I started to discover Zinn, uh, and you know, and the list goes on. The German rabbit hole. But one oh. one thing you're saying, I just want to say, so these fashion watches, they'll say, well, we'll do something minimal unoffensive, trendy, put some great straps, different colors, easy. But I think when you're saying Bauhaus, it's simplicity. But good Bauhaus is really well done too. So if you if you can do Bau, like Bauhaus as a designer, you read design books about Bauhaus. Or even, I'll, I'll say it too, about you were talking about the Apple iWatch. Right? Yep. Is the iWatch? It's just the Apple Watch. iWatch. I, watch I have no watch. idea. The, the Apple, Apple Watch. The Apple yeah. Watch by a company Apple. called Apple. Uh, yeah, exactly. Whatever they do. The watch they make. Have you heard of them? Pretty big. The, the designer to that watch was uh, Mark Newsom, yep. who is one of the more you know famous industrial designers. He also did the pen, Mark Newsom pen. Uh, he did a design for Montblanc. I had that pen. I returned it because it kept breaking. The reason why the... The pen had a, you know, the thing to uh, clip to clip onto your shirt, and the way it was done, 
Montblanc actually does the clip where the top screws off and the piece of, of it comes down and then the cool. cap gets put back on to hold the clip. This one didn't have that. This one had a whole piece and the prongs for the clip were inside it. So as soon as you would clip it onto your shirt, this whole prong system would just keep coming out four times. I had to bring it back. No disrespect. Beautiful design. Doesn't work. Had a lot of issues. But yeah. Bauhaus, when done well, I think is done great. But um, maybe that's uh, the good old saying that um, the uh, designer dream is the uh, engineer nightmare. Or uh, that pen, right? Who's they? Who's, who's that? There's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of proverbs. Eh? He's like, you know what they say? Chicken of the cave. Is it what? Bat. Bat is chicken of the cave. Yes, it is. It tastes so, like chicken. <laughs> they say it tastes like chicken. <laughs> so, Dimitri. Yeah. Um, you went from German to buying what? Well, uh, so, you, yes, correct to answer your question. Yes, I did really enjoy uh, German watches, specifically the Bauhaus style, right? And then the, it, it quickly, you know, the, what you like quickly changes. So uh, I started off with the uh, uh, Max Bill, which I really, really liked. But at the time, I just didn't have the money to spend on the watch. And uh, I couldn't spend $2,000 on my first watch, right? Um, also, I believe uh, when I just started liking watches and I started to research more and more, your tastes, they change extremely fast. So investing a lot of money right away just didn't seem to me like a very smart idea. So I started researching different other brands and obviously uh, Seiko was one of them because one of the greatest companies ever. They pretty much make every single watch you can think of and they make their own mechanism. Everything is in-house, absolutely everything, right? And they make them well. And um, I, so I, I, I stopped with the Seiko. I got an Orient Bambino, which is, I think is a Seiko subsidiary or the spinoff or something like that, right? No, they're just, they're just owned by the same parent company. And a lot of people, they actually, you know, I was doing some reading. They have nothing to do with each other. Okay. <laughs> they're just both owned by Epson. But I, right. Okay, yes. But don't, don't um, Orient use some sort of a, a updated or changed mechanism that Maybe. I say. Maybe. Mechanisms. Maybe. I'll have to look it up. Yeah. But I, I've heard that uh, oh, people go, oh, it's a Seiko because they're both owned by Epson, the umbrella. Right. But I've also heard we got nothing to do with them. Well, it's, <laughs> it just seems too. economical to share uh, sure knowledge, right? I'm sure it's not something sure that they, they do completely different. And where they source parts right. to make their exactly. movements. I'm sure it's all the same. It's got to be. So I, I bought two watches to start and I think that they're technically my first watches because those are the first watches that I actually put thought into. Uh, a lot of thought other than just the looks. Um, the um, the Orient I got was the Orient Bambino version 2 uh, revision 3 or something like that. It's the one that looks the most minimalist of them all that has rectangular hands. Um, again, I loved it when I bought it but then I think two months in, I stopped liking it because my, my uh, preferences evolved very quickly. And I sold it, I think, within four or five months uh, since from the purchase. Uh, the, the beautiful thing about those watches, first of all, it was very inexpensive. I think it was under 200 Canadian dollars. And I've sold it for maybe 150, so I barely lost any money on it. It was, a, it was almost free to wear. And then um, the other watch that I bought almost immediately, I think a month apart, was the one that I liked a little bit less visually at the time. But 
I I was very respectful of you know what the watch represents. It's the, obviously the, the the world's famous Seiko SKX. I got the 07. Um, again, uh, it's still my minimalist, let's say, uh, ideas. I wanted to get something that's less flashy, right? Uh, if I was getting it today, I would have probably gotten the Pepsi version. Uh, but I got the all black uh, bezel version. Uh, and, you know, reading from what it is and how it has a huge cult following. And obviously, you know, the, the famous YouTube channels are always praising it. Uh, I bought it. Uh, it was very bulky. It was something that I wanted to wear on the weekends and something that I wanted to be, let's say, less worried about if I go wash my hands or go swim in a pool or something like that, right? Um, and that watch specifically grew me like crazy after the purchase. So it's the one that I've kept for a while. Uh, and the only reason I've sold it later was because I, I wanted to find a ways to, let's say, offset the expense that I incurred on my Grail watch that I've purchased about a while later. <laughs> Boy, did it not make a dent. <laughs> it did not offset it one bit. I will, I will sell this watch for 500 bucks and I will buy a watch. Here's a Tic Tac. <laughs> but to this day, through we, we, we've talked about it, you still think about... I, I still think and I still occasionally look at the Pepsi and I still go to a Long Island watch and I still look for different variations of the, the custom double dome sapphire and the different bracelet. And I'm always very close at pressing add to cart. Uh, but I didn't do it because at that price, if you customize it and you get the double dome Pepsi with a custom bracelet, it is almost the sumo money. And a sumo is something that I've purchased instead, which is just a better quality watch overall, I think. Do you consider, because they're discontinued, that you may turn around and say, you know what, before, I'll just get it, keep it, wear it when I want, and then in five years when there's no more stock, sell it for twice the price? Absolutely. If I, if I mean, I'm not at that point right now, but absolutely, I think this is a, this is a collectible watch. Give it maybe 10 years or so, right? It will be a very, very... Interesting, interesting watch for people to own. Um, I would definitely consider buying it again, and I'm I'm still monitoring prices. I don't think they're going up quite fast no, yet. yet. They're still very available. Those watches, yeah. maybe. And and you know what? I want to get the most original, non-modded version with a bracelet for some reason. Not the not the leather uh, band. Right. Not the leather. Sorry, the 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 rubber band that the uh, the GD, JDM version comes in. But I loved. The, the horrible quality Seiko Jubilee bracelet. Jingly. It was really good. Jingly jangly. Really jingly jangly. Uh, so, yeah, that's pretty much it for my, uh, you know, story. There's a lot more to, to share about the watches that I uh, bought later and the watches that I'm trying to buy and stuff that I like now, but I'll pass on the baton to uh, Carl. Yeah, no problem. So, um like uh, everything in my life, it's always turning out around cars. You won't be surprised on that part. It, <laughs> Dima was uh, doing a super nice gesture towards me. Um, Gosh, your your girlfriend's must hate you. <laughs> Everything's about the car. All the time. Everything. Can I ask you a question just about that? Yeah, Have you it. ever let a girlfriend eat in your car? <laughs> so Other than your <laughs> <laughs> So in that, it's like don't, don't, please don't. This is disgusting. Don't do this in my car. Let's pull over to this gas station. <laughs> I don't think he would be that calm. He'd be like, "Don't do this. 
Not in my car. <laughs> what are you doing? Um, so, daily drivers, yes. Sports cars, no. Right. Okay. Did but I'm hungry. But I'm hungry. No? We'll stop at a restaurant. Though. Like, even the same thing with drinking. No liquid. Water? No liquid at all. A bottle of water, it's closed. Like, so, yeah. yeah. So, you're drinking it. Yeah, but no, uh, sports car is almost, it's no liquid or no I feel food. like you've driven, I've driven you in my car and you were having something at some point. <laughs> uh, maybe, I don't know. Like, if you tell me no, gonna I'm going to eat it. We're going to edit that. Then I'll say, it's going to stay in. Yeah, we'll just <laughs> unplug your mic next time. <laughs> so, um, when I was younger, I guess in around, I don't know, eight years could old. You, could you be younger than you already are? Is that even possible? Well, technically, yes. I is this mean. like BCAD type of thing? No, nothing existed before your age. This is ridiculous. So, when I was younger, around eight or nine, uh, my dad was a managing director for a Mazda dealership uh, here in Montreal. And um, he was um, never getting a babysitter. So, every time I was uh, at his place, uh, he was just come to work with me, right? If it's summertime, for example. So, I was at the dealership, I don't know, nine hours a day, every week. Every day, Monday to Friday, just during the summer, trying to kill time. And um, I remember clearly, uh, till to this day, that the salesman always has like um, goals, right? So this month, the best salesman win, I don't know, gas card or a dinner somewhere or something. But the bonus end of year, the best salesman was winning a watch. And I remember my dad telling me that, you know, those watches are really good for this and that reason. And When a salesman's wearing a tag, it's because he's the best. And it's stick with me. I remember to this day, like the tags they were wearing, right? The colors and everything. Um, around the same time, I remember too that the owner of the Mazda dealership was wearing an Omega. And my dad was telling me that because for him, that was the best brand in the world. Which Omega did he have? That I don't remember. And those tags? I'm curious. Were they Chronos or were they... There are Chronos, so I'm guessing uh, tag or like uh, orange boy type of. Um, There's a bunch of Carreras, of course. The Carreras yeah. have a bunch of, uh, which makes sense. Carrera means like yeah, race, like right? blue, white, and sometimes <laughs> orange, right? Yeah. And um, so yeah, I re remember my dad saying that all the time, right? So tags are for good salesmen, and Omegas are for owners type of thing. And um, spacemen. You did tell me that then, but now mm -hmm. I know, yes. Those are bullet <laughs> but, but it is true. <laughs> it's written. Yeah, well, they say it's for spacemen. <laughs> um, so, uh, aside of that too, I was always going to uh, races. So, F1 here in Montreal, NASCAR in the US, and um, um, GT and uh, Trois-Rivières to have uh, Le Mans series and all those things. And all the sponsors were always Rolex or TAG. No one else, right? And it was everywhere. And now Richard Mille everywhere. Yeah, in F1, yes, in sponsoring the series. Uh, but like, if you look, side note, if you look to uh, Bell and Ross is sponsoring Renault F1 team. Bell and Ross is, uh, I love that brand. Yeah, so, um, yeah, it was Rolex everywhere. And every time on the uh, podium. Um, I was just sorry, wasn't it also IWC that's a big sponsor of F1? Or right? Benz. I think that I've seen, oh yeah, you're right. I've seen, I've seen them wear gloves. Yeah. And they have a watch printed yeah. on the gloves. So that's like uh, that's Mercedes AMG F1 team. Oh, right. Doesn't, uh, Lewis, doesn't Lewis Hamilton wear uh, an IWC? He's sponsored by them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They I've all seen they all wear them at yeah. some point. They all have Rolexes, and they all I think yeah. they all get 
were paid or whatever contracted to always so, wear Richard yeah, Mille. So Richard Mille is sponsoring the F1 series. But okay. Every team has their own sponsored. Right. Benz is IWC. Uh, Renault is Ben Ross. And there's other brands too. Ben Ross is good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. And every time all the drivers on those podiums were wearing Rolexes or tags, right? And my dad was like, when you win in life, that's what you have. Type of conversation with me, right? Uh, and my dad had a, a, a tag. It was the only watch I ever see from really close when I was that age. Uh, but yeah, it stick with me. And I was like super young. But after that, you know, grew up uh, for the next 15 years, I was playing music, working on cars. I didn't really think about watches. They're always there, but no one near me was a watch nerd or watch geek, right? So I was never in conversation uh, until I met Kevin that's sitting on this table. Worst day, on my, worst day of my life. Like it could not be worse. Well, most people's lives could make it worse <laughs> what <laughs> please not. let me show you <laughs> um and yeah it was a pool party and you were wearing a tag i think and uh i remember saying something like hey nice tag bottomless pool party <laughs> exactly. those are those are his forte <laughs> and what he noticed was my watch <laughs> yeah and uh nothing I, else was, I was like hey st- thanks nice penis <laughs> <laughs> So I go, hey, nice tag. And I didn't even finish my sentence. And I think you went on a monologue for like two hours <laughs> on why the watch was so nice. So, Thankfully, you were about to leave and you just proceeded to go to your car. <laughs> Pretty much. Where right. I followed him. He followed me to that car, <laughs> called me after that. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I opened a huge kind of worm and we start talking about watches more and more. And you're starting to ask me good question on what I look into watches and all those things, right? Um, but to your credit, you had great taste right away. Like, most people will come and say, hey, I found this this kind of watch, this, this. He's sending me Jaja <laughs> Lecoute's uh, like master controls. Or he was sending me, what was it, the one that you sent me? I was like, this is ridiculous. It was like a $30,000 watch. I go, like, yeah, of course you like this watch. Yeah, probably Condevache from Vacheron. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah. El Primero. Uh, Reverso, maybe? The Reverso? Two, uh, two face. Yeah. Yeah. Reverso, uh, only reason I really like it is because it's slipping. Yeah, both sides. If it wasn't for that, story. Yeah, yeah, good story, perfect story. Batman wears that watch, right? Christian Bale wears that. He does. In Batman Begins, he wears a. Oh, wow. okay. Uh, maybe I uh, missed it. Yeah, I was all, uh, focused on his muscular physique <laughs> too much. <laughs> uh, take it off. <laughs> yeah. So when is he gonna take it off? <laughs> so yeah, and that was four years ago, almost now, I think. And uh, yeah, have like what six or eight watches now and I'm looking to buy more and it's a problem I think or it's a good thing I don't know yet to a lot of people it's a problem to us it's good okay perfect so it's good it's a good thing uh, but yeah that's my just look for things to validate your problem right exactly right so it doesn't so sound take like take you a guys problem. now I know it's good uh, like you, you're not the only one so that makes it okay there are dozens <laughs> of us <laughs> it's like an AA meeting hi I'm Carl yeah hey Carl um, except this is a BBC meeting <laughs> yeah it's a BBC not to confuse with the British one or the other one uh, <laughs> they could but, also be British yeah British you know of all the BBCs this is definitely the lowest and there's probably so many more <laughs> that we this is probably realize. the smallest BBC I'm not going to Google it, though. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> I, I tried earlier on uh, Spotify to see, and uh, when you type BBC, it's the British one. And, and there's one, with the results? There's one trap song, too. It's named BBC. So. Trap song? Yeah. Could you please 
What's a trap song? A song that asking, traps you? Asking for a friend. Could you please share? It's a style of music mainly used for yeah, a rap. Yeah, let, Let's ask for Dimitri. What, what is, <laughs> I know what it means. Of course. <laughs> what is trap song? It's, uh, well, what we could call like New Day rap, I guess, in some ways. Uh, I don't know, do you know DJ rap? Carnage? Can you just call it rap? Or New Day rap? No, it's different. Anyway, after the podcast, let's go take a listen. Sure. Okay. So, uh, yeah, that was my uh, quick reason how I love watches. So I'll now send that to Kevin. Kevin. All right. So my story is relatively short and well packaged. I'm just going to kind of go through like the journey and the milestones, I guess. So I think I got into watches about 10 years ago. Unless we interrupt. Yes, of course. It'll be very short. So I got into watches about 10 years ago, I'd say, you know. And throughout those 10 years, I had a different milestones and what they kind of represent it kind of like ruined me for this uh for this hobby following like allowing me to fall deeper and deeper in the rabbit hole um to your story carl my first great watch i would say um was when i graduated from uni it was a gift and it was that tag the first great watch that you encounter or just the first great watch you got the first great milestone That's what I'm going to say. So what it me- meant to get that watch. So um, it was a good, a great watch, you know, by a, is a stretch by any means uh, based on what I know now, you know, so based on what I know now versus what I knew then. So it was a, it was a great diver, uh, no, you know, Tag Heuer, 300 meter, yellow second hand, bullseye dial, beautiful watch. And as a re- recently graduated student, I mean, that was, uh, I was considered myself uh, spoiled, you know. And it brought me down, and I think what this hobby does, it, it bringing you down in the rabbit hole, I mentioned, uh, is that now being so into watches, literally there are some pieces that we talk about that are like seven or ten grand, and we use terms like value proposition. <laughs> That's a good value for ten grand. I no, agree. it's not. I agree, and then uh, as the more you like, just to give an example from my own, I think learning curve there. The the more you look at a particular piece of a watch, right? Let's say you like a specific dial, right? But then you quickly realize what differentiates a nice dial versus a cheaper dial versus a very good dial, right? Really good. Applied markings and a different texture, and then the way it plays with the light, and like it just this is where the rabbit hole starts. So you're saying that the Grand Seiko I'm looking at right now, it's not great value. I'll take that as disrespect. What do you mean? It's not great value. It's almost 10 grand. That's why I say it's a value proposition. Oh. To us, I think it's great value. But to yeah. anyone who would say $7,000 for a watch, this is ridiculous. That's not a value proposition. Well, Because I, it's like, oh, it's good because you get so much watch for so little. And it's not little. $7,000 is not cheap for a watch. I know people that they would refuse to pay over $100 for a watch and they think that everything, everyone who does so is an idiot. That's right. Because you can get the perfect function from a watch for 50 bucks G-Shop. max. Right. Exactly. And it will, it will, it will last forever. Yeah. And anybody, anybody who pays more is making a huge Ridiculous. mistake. Yeah. So that's what I mean. We use terms like value propositions. Yeah. Like that's not a value proposition. That's okay. I was just not listening. That's actually, yeah. That's actually a very interesting segue. What is a value proposition to you? So I'll give you a ridiculous value proposition. Hey, bring. So the guy who was at IWC, 
who created their uh, split-second chronograph. That watch retails IWC for like 30K, and he created that movement, worked on his, when he created his own company, and he creates an in-house split-second chronograph uh, for like 10K. Purely Swiss, purely in-house. He makes incredibly high, complex horology, like high horology uh, movements for a fraction of the price of the other. And I think that's what Seiko does very well. When you look at their Sarb 033 that I have and you put it side to side with, I don't know, a Rolex Oyster Perpetual because they're very similar, the value proposition is saying, well, for 500 bucks versus 5,000 bucks, look at what you can get. And is it literally, you know, 10 times better? I don't, I don't know. Maybe. So it's fair to say that a value proposition to you is basically the amount of what you can get for a specific price comparing to other watches in yes. the same price category. Yes. Okay. Or a different category that may be higher. Because if I can get it instead, Absolutely. Of, instead of, that's what I mean by the proposition. Right. That's right? why that's why it has to be in a particular price bracket, right? Yeah. Because you can have a value of watch for a hundred bucks and fifty thousand dollars, right? Right. Um, okay, that makes sense, and I I completely agree. Yeah. Would you consider, let's say, a Rolex diver a value proposition because it's just something that will never lose any value, or no? Mm. Yeah. Uh, I'll say yes because if you get it at MSRP, if you don't, probably not. Which is impossible. I think this is the reason why it's expensive, right? It's because yeah. it's impossible to purchase it. That's a piece of it, yeah. Absolutely. The demand and supply. Yeah, right. absolutely. So, Kevin, you were saying you're uh, spoiled. I just newly got your tag, spoiled, yeah. right? And right after that. My next milestone after that, uh, and we'll talk about the journey in between another time, but my next milestone, I would say, was my, is my Nomos Tangente. Tangente? Tangente, the Nomos. Big moment for me. Um, I think it's a real 38 millimeter watch, fully in-house movement, Bauhaus, modern, sleek. And I would say it was definitely my first watch that was reserved for enthusiasts. It wasn't a big, like a big brand, like Nomos is coming up and it's getting more, you know, it's making a lot more noise, but it's not something that's eye-catching, you know, it's not flashy. And uh, which is something I used to like. I said, God, that watch looks really good. Not to say Nomos doesn't. I, I love my Nomos. Uh, but I think that that watch is more of an enthusiast watch. And I think it's that cool moment. And he had, Dimitri had it with the Seiko Alpinist. So when someone comes up to you and goes, hey, that's a, that's a Nomos. That's really nice. And it was, I was at a shop, actually. And he has Tutima. He was at the watch show we were at, the watch fair. Uh, it was a great little shop. The Montreal Watch Fair, right? That was uh, the first one in Montreal, too. Yeah. Yeah, so you were saying um, it was your, Tangente was your second uh, milestone, right? Yeah. And the guy literally says, oh, is that a Nomos? And followed by, good for you, you know? So from someone who works at a shop and whatnot, he knows his stuff. He's like, oh, good for you. And he actually carried a lot of Glaciute brands. He had Tutima, 
And he had, what was the other one that he said they should really, gosh, what was it? I think in Mühlen. But he had a couple of brands that are from Deschutes. And he had a fair amount of German brands. He had Bremont as well at his shop. But he was, uh, he was really into watches from Glassute. He loved them. And I think he was talking about a specific brand. He said, they just didn't market well. Not like Nomos did. Nomos went with like that boutique brand. They were one of those brands that they didn't install themselves in retailers. They just put themselves online. You want to watch? You want to watch? Buy it from us. And they had great customer service. Great. Really great. And now they're more in the retail space. Yeah, but it's a good way of um, keeping an eye on your customer service when you sell everything straight from the factory, right? Absolutely. And more so than that, their line, so I have trouble with their line now. I think that they've taken a weird tangent in their design language, in their offering. I just, and it's not vibing with me too much. But, you know, I love what they They're bold in what they're trying, and, and especially in an industry that is tough to break through. It's tough to be respected. It's tough to make a, a mark, you know? It's tough to get out there and really become, you know, to make that, that impact. And I think Nomos is one of those that they're very, um, they're very loved. And um, I think that uh, there are a lot of people that don't like them as well. There yeah. are, like you see them, but... Uh, I think they, they took a risk. They went they're, they're, they make some really, really uh, great pieces. They really took some bow moves going in-house. They make some... Uh, they now have a sports watch, right? And I don't know if you've tried it on, but Tangente Neomatic, that's 42 millimeter sports watch they have. And that bracelet, you saw it. We were together when we went to do... We were looking at... Well, we went to the uh, retailer here in Montreal who uh, have Nomos and Patek Philippe, right? Yeah, Laurent Ferrier yeah. and uh, Laurent Ferrier. No, they have they have Carl uh, Parmigiani. They have Parmigiani. No, the only thing I remember Bukerer, is uh, I was looking for a Club Campus 38, and oh. I tried all the watches that were more than my yearly salary. Th 38 or 36? 38. 38. And because, and this is one thing, guys, if you're listening, if you've never tried a Nomos, and you think 38 may be small, or even 36... The thing about Nomos is that their watches, because of their Bauhaus, have almost no bezel. So a 38 wears really big on your wrist. So if ever you get a chance, go try on a Nomos. So my next milestone, I would say, was my first large purchase, my own. Really where I put in a you know, substantial amount of money was my Panerai radio mirror. And um, it represented to me... Uh, that moment I took investment into luxury, long-standing history, because Nomos is from the 90s, uh, uh, you know, expensive watch. And I also think that what this watch brought to me was my first connection I made with a brand's history um, and the form and function. So 1860, Florence, designed in Milan, They took Rolex pocket watch movements, shoved them into these large cases, gave them to the Italian military, the frogmen, large stature. Their identity is rooted in their design language, and I think that was what was most important to me. And I think that through my evolution or growth into watches, 
what the watchmakers are trying to say uh, with their creativeness, what they put into their pieces, I find that's what speaks to me the most because I feel uh, that's what I make a connection with and it's like their way to reach out. And if I like it, I'll reach back, right? Um, so if I feel that connection and if I can afford to, <laughs> I'll reach back and maybe buy it, so to speak. So for Panerai, I have never felt that they were trying to mimic someone else. Uh, they just want to create their own look and design. And I do feel that they were able to accomplish that. Uh, their design language was unique. And I mean, they had runs with sterile dials, uh, California dials. Uh, and they've made stride in their movements, which was part of my resistance. Because before, they were just putting in ETA movements that didn't hack And I'm like, gosh, you're, you know, it just seems so like, and you could find that movement in a really affordable watch. And like, okay, so I'm really just paying for the brand. I'm really just paying for the aesthetics. And at one point I was like, okay, I don't, I don't, it was hard to, to take that jump. And then when they came out with their in-house movement, it was hand wind, three-day power reserve, uh, you know, and it had a low beat. So it was high torque, allowing it, you know, and now watching them do, in-house minute repeater tourbillons like oh i was like gosh i was like that's really cool and then i you watch also watching videos on their production process it's worth your time so there's a concept i was reading about uh where back in the day and uh, in, in, when you're used to be shopping for watches you'd always be thinking what was the next big thing almost like technology right But now with watches, you don't have to do that because the watch you have now is never going to become obsolete. It's going to stick around, you know. Um, and I think that I find myself what I love about it, and I think this is really is like when, when I look at down on my watch, <laughs> I think that these uh, inside the movement itself, it's like this tiny city, like a bridges, pinions and wheels, and it's going on. It's all working, working, working. 30,000 beats an hour. And uh, even when I'm in this, you know, working and running around doing everything, I find it really cool and structured what's going on on my wrist. I don't know why. I find that very comforting. Um, and I would say that my last milestone that stood out was my uh, Rolex Milgoss Z Blue. And for many, including myself, I, I do think it's the apex. Like, I don't know if there's anything higher I, I might go to, too much higher, we'll see. Uh, but this one is not like the normal. This one is flashy and loud and it, it has presence and it's detested by many people out there. They go, why did they make this watch? Um, it's a polarizing watch for sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, for me, what makes that watch is the green U and the crystal and the it's thunderbolt uh, orange. It's a green crystal and a blue dial. Yeah. So it's just like in the sunlight, it's crazy. It's yeah. interesting how that works for some people, and I—I'll be honest—I—I I, I really like that watch, but I've never—I've I've never looked at it as, as something that I would buy, right? Just because those colors don't speak to me as much, right? Mm -hmm. But it is interesting how it is exactly like like you said—it's polarizing, right? You don't have people that are just like, "Yeah, that's nice." You yeah. have people that love it, or people that just dislike it. And the same but, for the Air King you like a lot. I like the Air King. Yeah. People t say that it's too many fives on it. Yeah, that's what I, uh, that's I the first like thing I told King. you. 
I yeah. like the Air King. I, I'll be honest. I think I pretty much like all the Rolexes. Right? Because no one can really see what we're talking about is the the new Air King. So Air King used to be a very understated, subdued yeah. watch. It's we're talking about the new one in that bold numbers. Bold numbers. All, all of them are at fives in it. <laughs> so the one from the um, it's super fast. Uh, uh, what what the something hound car? The supersonic bloodhound. The Bloodhound, exactly. And yeah, the supersonic dials. Car. The supersonic yeah. car, yeah. Fastest cars on the ground. On the ground, yeah. So it had Rolex dials and they took that dial inspiration. Yeah. So it has that like really royal Rolex yeah. green. But, but to go back to your Milgas, uh, one thing I like about that watch is even if someone likes watches in general but don't like this one, he's going to see it and he's going to talk to you about it. Yes, it's, so it's impossible not to say anything. No, it's hard. Like if you know watches and you see a milk glass, like it, hate it, you're gonna talk about that. Oh yeah, dude, that's a. Let me see your. Let me see your milk glass. Let me see that. And thing. like people are gonna say, I don't like it because of this or that, and they're gonna talk to you. It's because what you're doing, you're peacocking. Yeah. If you remember, there was a this this guy right from I don't know 10, 15 years ago that was talking about the concepts of like picking up women. Yeah. Right, and this is basically you have to really have something very flashy, right? Loud, it speaks to everybody, yeah. regardless of whatever it is, a positive or negative. It inspires conversation. I agree. But the sports cars, like uh, yeah. Dimitri and I went for a beer last week in the old bar in Montreal here, and it was like flashy cars after flashy cars. Yeah, a lot of Lamborghinis. Yeah. They're, they're pretty much as flashy as it gets, right? I oh, guess yeah. at a for like at a price that that's not let's say impossible. Yeah, definitely more. Well, I'd say <laughs> accessible. If you can buy a house, you can buy a Lamborghini. Well, yeah, but can you <laughs> live in a Lamborghini? Can, can you put a dishwasher into a Lamborghini? I don't think so. How many? How big is the freezer that you can fit into? <laughs> no, a Lamborghini? no, like if you think the other around, right? Like people buy a house and have a cars on payment, like it's small payments, right? You go the other around. You have big payments for a Lamborghini and small payments for what you're renting, like an apartment. Which just bankrupt you. But who who lives in a apartment? With a Lamborghini, right? Unless the Lamborghini. Yeah, I, I think a Lamborghini should be outside at yeah. least. Uh, not uh, in mo- the most Lamborghini owners. Yeah, exactly. But they have like penthouses and stuff. Yeah. Like so um, you're at your milk glass. After that, is it? Do we know what's the next um, milestone? Watch? Uh, I think this is for another episode. We'll start talking about what the the next milestone? watch will be. Yeah, what the next milestone will be. But okay. that, that's that's that milestone. And you know, to be honest, I think there are days I'm oversaturated with content yeah. and emotions on how I feel. That for, for me, I'll, I'll say it's simple. If I survive COVID-19, I'll buy a watch. There you go. Good for you. And do you want to say which one it is? Or do you want to save it for the next? Well, I can save it for the next time, but I already talked about it yeah. a bit earlier. So Let's leave our listeners with something to look forward to. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, nobody's ever going to listen listeners, to it. Us three, right? That's who's going to listen to it. <laughs> well, to finish off here, like I was just saying, right now, I'm, honestly, I'm working to cleanse reduce my collection i really want to get it down i'm changing my approach where i buy one i get rid of one and um and i think this extends outside of my that's not going down <laughs> you didn't start with huh? that approach because you managed to accumulate a lot of watches but, 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 but i've also what i also want to say the caveat there is i also want to use my watches to fund one so if i consolidate right. four to five and i buy one and you know i'm something's leaving something's coming in but it's not one for one um but I think that the last thing I want to say, I just feel that, you know, where I am, I don't think that my love for watches or anything about it. I think it's growth. It's, it's done in terms of how big it can be. I do think it continues to ev- morph itself, but I don't feel like I can love watches any more than I do now, honestly. Well, uh, what do you mean? Are you meaning in the sense of like how complicated the watches are or in just 
or in something else? No, I think it's how much room it takes up in my life. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? Like, I just think it's like, oh, how much, re- like, really, unless I quit my job and, be, you know, sold watches for a living, right. maybe. But other than that, I think that, you know, it's really, it's what I use when I'm, you know, just relaxing. It's how I unwind. Just enjoy it. Just to add to that, right? And I think my uh, love of watches is it's still evolving, but where it's going, it's not necessarily going in terms of, you know, the more unique and uh, expensive, let's say, watches. It's always going into the more interesting or even vintage, I would say, designs, right? Something that's very specific, particular, or unique again, uh, that I think that I'm starting to like more and more, right? Like I've started off with not liking the reversos at all. And then now I'm seriously looking at it uh, and thinking that maybe one day I'll purchase one. I find myself more attracted these days to uh, house brands and, uh, you know, small shops. Um, and something that's a little bit more character, I'd say. Not someone's trying to do a money grab. I like that. I, I don't know. I think that um, it speaks to me more to be to have that kind of relationship. I agree that, but for me, for for example, I I found that you have to really learn first to understand uh, the 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 pieces of the watch very well, right? The mechanisms, what makes a good mechanism, and the the the, the case and stuff, before you can uh, appreciate micro brands, because it's very easy to buy a fashion watch, right? If you don't know what you're doing, and not necessarily a good value. Look, today they released this mechanical Timex thirty-six millimeter. Very nice. You know, I think it's a little ornate. If you look it up, 36 millimeter Timex mechanical, it's a military-inspired manual wind. You look at it by all means. It's, it's not necessarily the best value. You can uh, get more. Yeah, I think we'll be able to talk about those one maybe on the next podcast. I yeah. think uh, you're talking about unwinding a bit earlier. I think it's time for unwinding and saying goodbye. Yeah. So uh, thank you for listening to the BBC that we named the Big Black Clock Podcast. It's a mouthful. It's nice how it always takes you an extra second to say it right. Yes, I do not want to make a mistake there. <laughs> so uh, it was Carl, Kevin, and uh, Dimitri. We'll talk to you uh, another time. Have a good day. Cheers. See you next time. <laughs>